The Cape Up Podcast is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Are you looking to learn a thing or two about getting your finances in order, saving, and investing? Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Coming soon to wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Fire and Fury by Michael Wolff has given us a raw and troubling view inside the Trump White House. But the book and its author are controversial. I asked the legendary New York media reporter about his sourcing, his access, and details in the book that have everyone talking, including his conversations with Trump himself. We sat down a few days ago for an event with Politics and Prose at 6th and I here in Washington. What you're about to hear has been edited for content and clarity. Okay, before I get to the, um, how I wanted to start this, I was curious, um, and I mentioned this to, to Michael, this is Washington, D.C., a book event for a book that has set this town on fire. And I was curious, I was wondering, hmm, who's here? Are there, we're in a, at least in terms of party registration, a Democratic city, but in terms of power, the House, the Senate, and the White House are Republican uh, uh, controlled. So Michael said, well, I'd be curious to find out too. So I don't know if anybody, how many Democrats are here? Okay. How many Republicans are here? Oh, come on. Oh, okay, fine, let me put it this way. How many people involved in the political process are here? Whoa, okay, all right. And a lot of shy people. Okay, so Michael, on Saturday Night Live last week, their cold open, <laughs> the cold open was a send up of Morning Joe um, and Fred Armisen played you and the Willie Geist character asks this. Now, Michael, there have been several errors pointed out in this book already. Do, do you take responsibility for those? Michael Wolf. Look, you read it, right? Everyone says, yeah. Michael Wolf says, and you liked it? <laughs> you had fun? Everyone says, yeah. Then Michael Wolf says, well, what's the problem? You got the gist, so shut up. You know, even the stuff that's not true, it's true. What's your reaction to that portrayal, Michael? So now I have to deconstruct Saturday Night Live. <laughs> that's um, the world we're in now, Michael. Um, it's all true. It is literally all true. This book is Donald Trump in full. There isn't, I, you know, I think there's been a, you know, there's, I have the problem with the Berman brothers, Mark Berman and somebody else, Berman, who I seem to have um, um, uh, transposed. Um, you, you know, and, and to this, I, I entirely cop to my fault. But about Donald Trump, this book is as true as it gets. 
this is the man, and I think it's one of the reasons that, that this book has, this remarkable thing has happened, happened to this book, that we all thought, and even I thought this, writing this, I thought we know Donald Trump, we've, we've, we've captured this. And it turns out, um, I think, uh, that we hadn't, that the story of Donald Trump, this kind of emotional void, we had been sort of circling around, looking into, but not really being able to to grasp what this this thing is, and and I think I, I think that's the that's the accomplishment of this book. Now, during an interview on MSNBC with Katie Turr, I believe she asked you because a lot of people were saying, "Well, if you've got tapes, recordings of these interviews, you should you should release them." With her, I believe that was on a Monday or Tuesday. You said, you said no. When I interviewed you on MSNBC a couple of days later, you sort of backtracked and said, you know, I'm kind of thinking about it, but I don't know. So now that we are a week out, a week later, where is your head uh, in terms of the question yeah. of... I mean, I've been doing this for a rather long time. Um, and I have always had, you know, I work like everybody else works. You have, you have, you have, sometimes you have tapes, sometimes you have notes. Um, Sometimes you run to the bathroom to scribble what someone has just told you. Um, um, and I have never in, in my career been asked for tapes before. So I thought, well, that's not what we do. And what I do is not make tapes. What I do is, is write sentences. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in, in a multimedia world, this is what has to happen. Um, um, and, and when people have asked me this question, I, I've thought, oh my God, now I gotta get a sound engineer, now I gotta get what, how, how do you do this? But, but maybe. M maybe. Maybe, I mean, there's a lot of, it's, it, it becomes somewhat complicated because there are a lot of, I, I have a lot of people on tape who I have sworn on my life that I would not reveal. I mean, you go through this process, um, in, in which you make a series of deals, and sometimes the deals are, I will talk to you, but if someone asks me if I have talked to you, I will deny it, and you have to promise me that you will not contradict that. And that's the deal you make. Um, so I guess I can't, I, I mean, unless I'm completely immoral, which I seem to be often accused of being. Um, <laughs> at least I'm not that immoral. Um, and. Um, um, but on the other hand, you know, I, I got Steve Bannon on tape, and, and the, 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 the Bannon tapes are riveting. <laughs> I mean, some of, I, I mean, if you haven't read the book, the Bannon pieces are like, wow. All right, so I want to get... I mean, he opens his mouth, and it's a kind of poetry. A, <laughs> I mean, a poetry of a sort. Of a well, all poetry is of a sort. Right. This well, is, I wanted. Uh, I mean, you cannot stop listening to it. You just go. You think, oh, I hope he keeps going. And usually, <laughs> and he, he, he does. He does. <laughs> so I, I, I'm going to ask you this question to get into uh, your sources and how you got them. It, early in the book, there is a you you tell you talk about this dinner party that is thrown. 
Um, Roger Ailes is there. Um, everyone's waiting for, for Steve Bannon to, to show up. He's hours, he's hours late. But when he gets there, he is just going on and on and on and on and on. In the book, it is not clear who is throwing the dinner party. But we now know that the dinner party was thrown by you. <laughs> now, and I bring that up for a specific reason, which I'll get to later, but on The View, um, you were asked by Meghan McCain um, whether the dinner was off the record. And you initially said, yes, the dinner was off the record, which you could hear the gasp in, in the audience of people who knew what that meant. And she asked, so then how is this off the record dinner in the book? Explain why. Well, let me explain a couple of things, why it isn't identified. In, in, in writing this book, I mean, I had to make that, that I, I made a, a, a very precise decision that there would be no I in the book. I, there was no I because I didn't want this book to be about my impressions of, of Donald Trump. I wanted it to be the impressions of the people around him. I really, and nobody believes this, but I went into this, into this project without, without a preconception, without an assumption about, about whether Donald Trump could, um, would be successful or would be a failure. I thought, I don't know. Um, and, and I wanted to find out what Donald Trump is, um, who he is, through the people who worked with him on a, on a daily and often minute-by-minute minute basis. So I eliminated myself from the book. Um, so anyway, this, this dinner did occur at my house. It came about because I have had a um, relationship uh, with Roger Ailes for a long time, for almost 20 years. Um, and, um, and, and Roger, a man who I don't, would, would not say I agreed with on uh, probably any, um, any point on, on the continuum of opinions, um, um, has ever, nevertheless been a good friend, a good source, um, an incredibly funny person to spend time with, and, um, um, and, and someone through whom you really get a glimpse, you, you, you really get to know something about how power has worked over this, practically speaking, a generation. So I have known Roger. When he was thrown out of Fox, I was perhaps among the few people who kept speaking to him. And he was moving to, um, to Palm Beach in January. This was, he was going on January 4th. I said, come for dinner the night before, Roger and his, and his wife. On the spur of the moment, I shot Steve Bannon a note. I said, Roger is coming for dinner. He's moving to, they're moving to Palm Beach next day. Do you want to come? And I don't know what I expected out of that. But when I went, when he responded that he would, he would like to come, and then I had to go to my wife and say, Guess who's coming to dinner? <laughs> but it, it was actually a kind of a kind of a splendid evening, and it was completely off the record. Then Roger died, and I thought, what what is what does that mean in this thing? And I decided that um, I decided I could use it. And I spoke to Roger's wife, and it was a kind of like, yeah, why? Well, there's. Uh, 
so the, sure. com- the confidentiality died with him. I yes. I mean, that was the decision that I that made. Right or wrong, that was the decision I made. Then, sh- shortly af- after that, uh, actually, I got this wrong because first it was. Steve Bannon, who said after Roger had died, he said, you're gonna use that, aren't you? He said, that's, that's, that's history. That's, um, um, and I said, oh, oh okay, uh, that could, and he said, yeah, uh, use it. And then I spoke to uh, Roger's wife. So that's how it got on the record. Okay, and so that is sort of one of the scene-setting moments. And so now we understand how it is that you were able to get waved in to the White House to basically become a potted plant in the West Wing lobby. So most of your, your meetings at the White House were with Steve Bannon, or at least you were scheduled to meet with Steve Bannon, and then what would happen? No, I was, I was scheduled to meet with, I mean, I have had a lot of meetings with, with, with Steve, and Steve was one of the, one of the pillars of this this book, but I, I basically met with everybody, and everybody was um, under the impression that they were supposed to meet with me. Um. <laughs> and where did they get this impression from? Did, did that impression come from the president, or did it because you were talking to Steve Bannon? They figured, well, we should probably well, talk to him too. I think it came too. from. It came from. I mean, I mean, I, I was introduced around by various people, by Hope Hicks, who was the. You know, I mean, the president's kind of personal PR person. Um, you know, Kellyanne Conway, Sean Spicer. I, I mean, this was a this was not a it was not a mystery here. Um, now, I, I think on one level, nobody quite knew how this came about, and everybody <laughs> looked a little puzzled by things. But it 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 was there was no friction here. There was no friction. No friction. Nobody was saying, what are you doing here? Everybody was saying, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they would see you sitting, they, they would see you sitting in the West Wing lobby, like who you're waiting to see. Yeah, and, and then, then you, yes, would say, you would say Bannon, and they would, they would chuckle and say, well, that's yes. not going to happen, or that'll be for a while. Why don't you come, come back exactly. and talk to me? I mean, I became a familiar presence around the White House, and, and I think also, a very much a non-threatening presence. I mean, I was not, you know, the press corps is, 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 was over there, I mean, not, not far away, but I was always careful not to come in as a member of the press um, and not to, not to um, act like a member. You know, the, the, the press is a sort of, you know, they want something. I didn't want anything. I, I, I literally was just, I didn't even have, I okay, basically- wait. Oh, come on, Michael. I didn't want anything. I'm just sitting in the West Wing lobby, I, hoping to talk totally, to all this these is folks. Totally true. Come I on, just, man. I really? just wanted, I just wanted someone to talk to me. I was like, <laughs> and this is this is actually an important thing because because you go in there and it used to so so it would be in you know you'd get a I don't know a ten o'clock appointment you'd go in and then you would sit there and you would sit there sometimes for hours and sometimes hours and hours. And it was um, kind of humiliating, actually. Um, and you've had the feeling that people took, you know, regarded me as a kind of a, a pitiable creature. You know, I'm not, I, I'm not important enough for anyone to keep their appointment with me. Everybody else is there and they're having appointments and their people come out and I'm still just waiting there and the hours 
are passing. And, and I did feel, feel um, humiliated. I, I was really, I mean, but, and it, but then it became this kind of thing that people, uh, it, it began to work. People would stop and they would try to take care of me and say. <laughs> like you're the, one of the neediest cases, you, come on. Yeah, you come back, or talk wait. to me. And, and, the, and the other thing, and this is an important thing, I, I basically didn't ask questions. So all reporters, what do we do? We ask questions, ask questions. I don't ask questions. I go in and I sit there and people just start to talk. Okay, so one of the reasons why perhaps people start to talk um, from what you're saying, is, and the key in that is what you said in terms of the initial part of your answer where you said, you mentioned Hope Hicks, who is the president's personal PR person. Now, when you read Fire and Fury, you find out that everybody in this book has his or her own PR person. Jared and Ivanka have their own PR person. Bannon ends up building up his own PR team. Is one of the reasons why all And the these... president. I mean, it's right, extraordinary. The president, who has a press secretary, and the a whole and, communication and a shop. communication shop of 40 people, but he's conducting his own freelance operation. So... Maybe one of the reasons why people took pity on you as you sat there, as you say, humiliated in the West Wing lobby, they knew you were talking to Bannon. Is it that they realized, oh my God, he's talking to Bannon. I need to talk to him to find out what Bannon has said I, so I, I can that counteract happened, that. That happened a little later on when they realized that, that Bannon was kind of monopolizing me. In the beginning, it, it was everybody Everybody was, was, was talking and confused about why they were talking, but they were talking. They, they, it had come on high from nobody, nobody actually knew from where it came, it seemed, but there was a general feeling that you were supposed to talk to me, I think. Were um, people unburdening themselves? Did you feel yes. like a therapist? Well, eventually you did, and that's the, the I mean, what I saw and, and the, the, I mean, this, this book is, is really about, if there's a plot line, the transformation that took place is people in the beginning who were, you know, you know Donald Trump, rah, rah, and, you know, the, you got the Donald Trump line. Um, and then that began to degrade. You know, they began to give you the, 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 the Trump line, but that, why they were giving it to you, they would go, <laughs> and <they'd> go, <laughs> um, and it became very clear that they wanted, they wanted someone else to know that while they had to give this line, they didn't believe it. And then after the, moving e even further on, then it, then it fell apart entirely. And then they would tell you, this is, this is, um, you know, this is really a mess here. Um, and um, so, so, I mean, I think that, that happened. And, but then, then the other thing happened was, this, was the Bannon thing, that Steve was talking to me, so then, so then other people had to talk to me to counter what Steve was saying. And also, because nobody in the White House, you know, there were these camps in the White House, and these camps didn't speak to each other. So therefore, I became, you had to, in, in, in one respect, you had these camps 
saw an advantage in speaking to me because then they can ask me what the other people were saying. So I became a kind of a, a, a messenger. This is totally high school, and that was a... Welcome to know, Washington. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, that's, that's... Oh, that was it? Okay, so you... Uh, there are many instances in the book where the president picks up the phone and calls around to his New York buddies, or just people, and just vents for a very long time. In one, at the end of one chapter, one section, you write about all the things that the president said, and then at the end you said, the call lasted 26 minutes. How many people does the president call like that back in New York? Uh, you, you know, there are probably eight people in New York he calls on a, on a steady basis. I mean, there may be more. Those are sort of... The ones you know about. People, people I know about. Um, and, I, you know, I, th I think he has a... You know, he has a... I mean, there's, that's, that's his kitchen cabinet of basically billionaires um, or a few people, media people who... who um, uh, who he knows, um, and you know, and then I mean, the interesting thing is that he calls them, and then they call each other, and then whoever, and then they call their friends, and so on, and, and so, so, and then this 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 all leaks out, and so the president you know, throws a fit about the leaks, but of course, in many instances, they come directly from him. So if you were if you were at the event I did with Dan Rather. Uh, back in November, you know I like to write in my books and take notes, so if you have your book with you, please turn to page 92. Um, and there it says, on February 6th, Trump made one of his seething, self-pitying, and unsolicited phone calls without presumption of confidentiality to a passing New York media acquaintance. The call had no discernible point other than to express his bent out of shape feelings about the relentless contempt of the media and the disloyalty of his staff. So of course, I immediately thought, are you the passing New York media acquaintance, Michael? And, and I believe, as I told you in the, in, in the green room, I was not gonna tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I, I, I had to ask. But you know what, then that question, my reading that paragraph and that question gets to something that I wonder if people, particularly here in Washington, fully appreciate. And that is the fact that you are a fixture in New York media. You are a fixture in New York society writ large. That the world that the president and Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner, the world that they live in and socialize in is the same world that you are in. Because of that... That's, that sounds terrible. <laughs> well, no, I don't mean it to be terrible. I'm, I'm thinking of it from a journalistic point of view that when you read this book, there are nuggets of information that only a quintessential New Yorker only a New Yorker who, who swims in that pool would know. The, the, the chapter on Jarvanka, I think you, you have it, the, what you write about Jared Kushner 
and who he is and where he comes from and why he bought the New York Observer and why that was important and how Jared Kushner and President Trump are very similar, that's not something you get from just starting to work on this book. That's years, if not decades, of accrued knowledge and in intelligence from being a reporter in New York, no? Uh, yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, listen, this is the world, the world I've lived in and reported on is essentially the media world. Um, and Donald Trump is in essentially a media figure. Um, he's not a political figure. He comes out of this world. And in fact, you know, I mean, uh, the president has been saying that he doesn't know me. Um, 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 <laughs> uh, and in fact, I have known him for, for um, um, I guess, about 20, more than 20 years, that, um, because I was the media columnist for New York Magazine. And um, so I was one of the people at the magazine that he would regularly call up to complain about what was written about him, or more frequently when he had not been written about. Um, um, and you know, and then, and I would I would see him uh, see him often around town, and he was a guy at a any gathering didn't like to talk to. Uh, you know, like to talk to people he knew, he recognized, and so I, you know, we had a um, a perfectly fine long acquaintance, which kind of you know, I interviewed him in June of 2016, uh, just just before the conventions, and you know, um, we met at the Kimmel Show in Los Angeles, and so I was sort of brought in to interview him, and. Um, and I think it was uh, Hope Hicks said, um, said, Mr. Trump, you have, you have 45 minutes. And his face went back, his eyes went open, and he says, you don't give Michael Wolf 45 minutes. Um, and then he said, why don't you come back to the house after I do the show and, um, and we'll sit around, which we did for like hours and eating his, as he ate these pints of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk more about President Trump and, um, and media, because I do think that we have, our first, we have a, a president who is a, a media creation, and you are someone who, as you just said, writes about the media, and you write on page 215. Um, this is President Trump's, even Citizen Trump's view, if you couldn't get press directly for yourself, you, you became a leaker. There was no happenstance news in Trump's view. All news was manipulated and designed, planned, and planted. All news was to some extent fake. He understood that very well because he himself had faked it so many times in his career. This was why he had so naturally cottoned to the fake news label, quote, I've made, up, I've made stuff up forever, and they always print it, he bragged. That is the, I mean, that, we have seen that. Totally, I, I mean. For uh, 363 days? I mean, his in, I mean, his entire media career, to be somewhat distinguished from his real estate career, but his media career was about, was about this, was literally sort of, I will say anything that gets me ink, what we used to call ink. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
And, and it was, a, was a, I mean, it, it, it literally didn't matter. And even when you were on the phone with him, as, as a reporter, it would own the, the pretense would, would, would basically fall. What do you want me to say? How do you want me to play this? He's an old, in some sense, he isn't just an old-fashioned publicist. So it's not him that's, you know, that's his, the immorality of this is a, a well-ingrained, accepted immorality in the, um, in, in, in how you get press for yourself. Mm -hmm. That's the, uh, you know, the tabloid business. Mm -hmm. Speaking of immorality, so you're sitting there in the, in the West Wing lobby for hours on end, and if you've ever sat in the West Wing lobby, you know that people are walking through back and forth. Staffers are walking through. Meetings, people who have meetings with senior staffers are coming in. I, I mean, you, you have to, it's, it's, the, it's one of the, the ways that you, you uh, for the various wings of the West Wing, um, mm -hmm. you know, upstairs, the, the, uh, anyway, you pa it's, a, it's an easy pass through. Now, you, you, you were hoping that someone would take pity on you and see you and, and take care of you, but sitting in that lobby, you see and hear an awful lot of things while you were waiting. Everything. Did you actually, hear... Actually, you know, I mean... Did you, hear, did you hear them talking about policy? Just in general, policy, and then I'll hone in. Yeah, yeah, I, yes. And were they speaking about policy in any kind of substantive way? Um, and what were they talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's more, you know, um, I think the most riveting thing I heard, most like, oh my God, um, is I heard um, Tony Blair and Jared Kushner talking about the problems of the Middle East. Um, and, um, and I heard Jared Kushner say, um, let me get this right, um, um, damn it, we can solve this problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and what, was to and what was the former prime minister's reaction? I, he was, uh, he, I mean, I think he, he was acting like a man who was trying to cultivate a new client. Oh, okay. Did you hear while sitting there in the West Wing lobby waiting for someone to, to come scoop you up and bring, and bring you upstairs or, or around the bend, did you ever hear people talk about the American people or particularly the president's supporters in ways that you found um, galling, shocking, appalling? No, I, I mean, actually, my impression is that mostly they didn't talk about things outside of, of the West Wing. Mostly they were talking, everybody in my experience was almost wholly focused on what was going on in the West Wing. So the Bannon people were talking about the, the, um, the Jarvanka people. The Jarvanka people were talking about the Bannon people. Everybody was talking about Reince Priebus. Um, <laughs> um, and, and that's what, I mean, that was, I think, uh, I mean, one of the things that I, that uh, the, I mean, the lasting impressions is that everybody was focused on themselves. Is there anyone 
in the White House who's left, because there are a lot of people who you've written about who are gone, who's actually qualified to perform the job for which they were hired? Or that the job they're doing now? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, sure, sure. I mean, there's, I mean, H.R. McMaster, I think, is a, is a, a re, you know, I mean, certainly an experienced uh, person in this job, even, you know, Mick Mulvaney. Um, uh, you, you know, there are, there are a, a, a lot, there are professional people there. But, you know, one of the things I think, I think it's really worth focusing on now, which hasn't gotten enough attention, is that, is that with, with all of the, 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 the initial team leaving, um, Bannon, Priebus, um, Spicer, um, um, you, you, you're left that basically the two, the president's two senior most advisors are Hope Hicks, 28 or 29, a, a, junior, a former junior fashion PR person, um, and Stephen Miller, who everybody saw his head explode on, on With national, Jake Tapper, national yeah. television. Um, I mean, in these, these, I mean, whether you agree with them or their politics or not, these are just, just two people who bring nothing to this, to this, to this table. They just have no experience, no maturity, um, and um, you know, and no reason, no reason under the sun to be have to be doing the jobs that that we're paying them to do. Now, a central focus uh, of the book is, I mean, Steve Bannon is throughout this book. Steve Bannon is the smartest person in the West Wing. Steve Bannon is the one who's the true believer, who has an agenda, who wants to push the president to do what he thinks he should do. Steve Bannon is smarter than Jarvanka, smarter than Priebus, smarter than Spicer, smarter than, than everybody. Bannon's gone. Are you surprised given the way he comes off here. I mean, he, he comes off as someone who really thinks he's smarter than he really is. Are you surprised that he is no longer there? And not just no longer there, like excommunicated. The Mercers have even left him. I, I, I think that I saw Steve come to, I, I do think Steve is smart. Um, and, um, and again, Was probably, he qualified to be in that job? Excuse me? Was he qualified to be in that job that he had? Um, well, you know, Steve is 64 years old and has never worked in, um, in politics or government before. So um, um, pro I, I would say um, in, in no conventional terms was he qualified for this job. Nevertheless, um, he had at least read a few books. So he's coming in. <laughs> the bar is very low here. Um. All right, before, I'm going to ask this one last question, and I think I'm going to open it up to Q&A from the audience because I've lost track of time, and I'm so afraid that I am going to take time away from you. Michael, you claimed in one interview you left some quotes and some stories out. Why? I just couldn't nail it. I mean, things that I that I believe to be true, but um, but couldn't nail it. That's was there anything so shocking that you nailed it, but because it was so shocking, you kept it out? 
Well, yes, I mean, there's... <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, there what? Is, there is, there are, there are uh, several things that I, I thought were um, s shocking. I believe that I had nailed it, but they were shocking enough that you need to, needed a sort of uh, um, uh, a, a triple, quadruple nailing, and, and I didn't have that. Animal, vegetable, mineral. Who, which camp did it come from? What do you, um, I'm, I'm trying to suss out what is this shocking thing that you left out, that you nailed, that you left it out? Um, you're, give, you're, give me some contours. You, you have no idea how. I know, I'm trying to find out. No, how much I have to struggle not to tell you this. Oh, come um, on, man. Um, but. Come on. But I will tell you, if you read the book and if you read between the lines, it is there. So just, so just a little test. Okay, is it at the beginning, the middle, or the end? It's, it's toward the end. I, oh, I will say no end. more, because you'll get it out of me here, and this will be, you know, then we'll all... Oh, I can up. keep going. I can totally sell the Q&A if I can squeeze this out of you. Okay, so questions. I'm, I'm going to let you off the hook for now. You were first in line. You get the first question. Emphasis on question. Thank you very much. Uh, hi, Michael. Thanks hey. for the book. Um, you achieved what all of us were thinking about, which was, boy, we wish we were a fly on the wall in the White House. And you were that fly on the wall, so thank you for sharing. My question is, on the average, how many days a week were you able to get into the White House? And procedurally, how did you get in? Yeah, um, procedurally, it turns out to be easy. You make an appointment. Whoever you make an appointment, your first appointment with, puts you into the system and, and you go in and then you're basically there for the day. So you had to start out, you had to make an, you had to go in with an appointment. I didn't go in, um, uh, you, you know, I didn't have run of this free run. Um, I mean, once you, you, you did as soon as you got in, but you had to make this appointment. So I would actually spend Mondays, my schedule was, Mondays, I would make my appointments for the week. Um, and then I live in New York, so then I would come down on either Monday night or very early Tuesday morning. I would check into the Hay Adams, which is right across from the White House. Um, and then I would, I would go back and forth. And the, and the, the nice thing, which I quickly found about, about the Hay Adams, is that, is that a lot of people in the, at the end of the day would come over um, come over for a drink or, or dinner or whatever. Uh. Boy, we all wish we Thank were that fly, don't we? <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Michael. Question here. Thank you for uh, coming out. So prior to the, the campaign, I mean, it's pretty clear that uh, Trump and the Clinton family had a pretty extensive relationship. Um, I mean, Hillary uh, had received donations from Donald through her, her numerous campaigns, and they were both present at her wedding, et cetera, et cetera. At the start of the book, you mentioned that a lot of the ambitions of the Trump team fell apart at once he won the, the presidency. I mean, it was clear he was trying to mount a cable news network and that sort of thing. 
Do you think Clinton was knowledgeable of Trump's ambitions, given their relationship prior to the campaign? And do you think she had formed her campaign in a way to accommodate those ambitions? I, I'm, 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 I'm not clear on the question. Can you yeah, ask that so, question again, but shorter? Okay, yeah, so Donald and Hillary had a relationship prior to the campaign. Right. Donald was clearly, he clearly had other motives aside from being the president, right? Do you think Hillary was knowledgeable of those motives when she was shaping her campaign? Well, I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I mean fu fundamentally, you know, the, um, uh, the, Trump, the Trump people didn't think that they were going to win and the Clinton people didn't think the Trump people were going to win. So, right. um, um, so in, in that respect, I mean, I think that the, that the Hillary people probably, probably did assume that, that the Trump people had other ambitions beside being president, which they weren't going to do, or theoretically they weren't going to be. Cool. And as he writes in the, in the book, all those, the Trump ambitions were the Trump television network, and Ivanka had her own ambitions, and Jared had his own, own ambitions. But thank you for your question. Question here. Hi, Michael. Uh, thank you for doing this interview. Uh, my question was, what's a part of the book that you uh, ultimately wish that you had cut out, and why? The, the, you that you wished you had cut out? A part of the book that you ended up leaving in, but looking back, you wished that you had oh. cut. I, I am, no, no part. I think it's, um, I would say that, that I am entirely happy with the book. At this point, you know, as when you write books, years from now, you look back and you think, <sighs> But at this moment in time, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. Yeah, you probably want to put that piece in that you say you left out. <laughs> Don't think I forgot about that, Michael. Was it Tillerson? <laughs> Question here. You need to take lessons on the pitiable creature thing, apparently. Um, my question is about the pitiable creature aspect of sitting in the white in the West Wing lobby. So you're sitting there. Are you on your phone? Are you working on things? Are you just like making puppy eyes at anybody who walks by you, hoping that, like, are you really going, going for trying to like catch somebody's attention while you're sitting in the West Wing lobby, or, or are you doing your own thing and, and eventually? Yeah, no, I'm trying not to be not to be noticed um, mm. because you're trying not to be noticed because you think somebody's going to throw you out. You know, like, like, what are you doing here? And you're trying not to be noticed because you, you, you know, it's embarrassing. You know, there you are. You know, the clock. You know, there's people there, and the clock goes, and you know, you've. Um, an hour has passed beyond your appointment, and, and then they try to say, can I get you anything? Can you do this? Um, um, and then there was the issue of going to the bathroom, which then that becomes, you know, can you just go to the bathroom? And the, it turns out you can. You just go, and you can wander almost anywhere. Wait a minute, where? I'm trying to think. I've sat in that West Wing lobby. Where, where, do you, where is the bathroom that you can get to unescorted? Without unescorted. It's, you, you go through the, the, when you walk in, the, the door on the left, you go through the door, which actually leads then to the, to the o, o, you Yeah, the around. Roosevelt yeah. Room and then the, in the oval. Yeah, t totally. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's again, it was the thing, you know, what are they going to say? You know, I, you know, I'm sitting <laughs> well, you there, they know the whole. It's, well, right. And you don't have, a, as you said before, you don't have a press pass. You have the, the blue appointment badge, right. which I guess gives you some other kind of you know, access to the bathroom. <laughs> Question here, thank you. 
Michael, I've been wondering, as someone who's in the media yourself, who's been your favorite press secretary? Just who's not been something my favorite press secretary. Your favorite press secretary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've only really dealt within the in this White House in this this book. I, I only dealt with uh, with Sean. So um, you know, after so and and I, I didn't have actually any dealings with um, uh, with um, Sarah. So. But did you mean press secretaries in general? Because no, he's I been, meant, been in I this meant administration. The, the three, yeah. Oh, of the three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. It's not, so, Sean Spicer, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. All right, thank you. Question here. And yeah. uh, now, Robert Mueller and his team, they want to talk with uh, Bannon. Um, and definitely, they will ask uh, Bannon about these things that you quoted him for in the book. You have met. Trump and Bannon, and their relationship is not very good at the moment, it seems like, but we're not completely sure. What is your impression that <clears throat> will Bannon sell Trump in these, when, when he talks with Robert, Robert Mueller, or will he confirm, will he confirm what he said? Uh, what, what is your impression what will happen from now on. Well, let's and look at this in, 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 in two ways. I would anticipate that that um, uh, that Steve will tell the truth. Um, um, you know, but I guess I guess there's the truth and there's the truth. Um, does he does he does he really go after the president? Does Steve Bannon make the decision to try to break Trump? And I, th I think that, you know, if, if, if I were Steve right now, that's what I would be, th if I would be thinking that's one of my options here. I mean, I, I literally saw Steve Bannon go from, from the guy who elected Trump to the guy who thought that Trump was, was, was the, the idiot of the century. Um, and, and, the, and a guy who, you know, you know who, who who came to realize that whatever goals and um, and agenda Steve had, whatever he, you know, the nationalist, populist, whatever that is, um, and I don't mean to be dismissive for for Steve, that is a very, very specific um, um, idea-driven program, and he thought that Trump would be its. Trump would be able to lead this, this, um, this new movement. And it turned out Trump really is not capable of that, not interested in that, um, and is, 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 is just gonna go in whatever direction um, he goes in at any given moment. Um, and I think Steve found that incredibly infuriating. And I think that he was using the things he said in my book as part of his intention to break with Trump. Um, so I, I, yes, I think, I think that he, I, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I think it's a very real possibility um, that Steve could sink the and, president. And to follow up on his question, since he brought up Robert Mueller, has anybody on Mueller's team contacted you in connection with the investigation at all, given some of the things you have in here, such as Bannon's quote that the, the meeting in June in Trump Tower was treasonous? They have not, but I'll be honest, I've, been, I, I've, I've gotten a lot. I'm really behind on my email. 
<laughs> Question here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned that you have tapes of the discussions with Mr. Bannon and the House Intelligence Committee has subpoenaed him uh, eagerly. Uh, my question is, have you considered if you receive a subpoena for those tapes, if you would provide them, and have you considered whether, if you do, you would release them publicly at the same time? I, I have. I mean, the answer is I haven't considered. Um, have not considered. I have not considered what I would do if the if if my tapes were subpoenaed. Subpoena. Um, um, and and you know, and that that brings up this other problem and the whole I, I, idea of 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 the tapes and releasing tapes. Um, because if my tapes were ever subpoenaed, I would not release them. Um, so, and I think that that's, that's, you know, that's just that's part of what we do as, as, as journalists. I can't think of anything more fundamental that, that, um, um, about how you protect your, your work. So, just another aspect of this tape question, which is, seems to me ultimately unclear. Question here. Do you believe that the P-tape is real? Wait, I didn't hear the I didn't hear the question either. Say Do again. you believe that the P tape is real? Do you believe that the P tape is real? <laughs> I, I would have no way of knowing. My gut is I don't believe it, but that's just. Did I, any, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my God. Did did anyone? I mean, I can't even just imagining it and. Um, <laughs> Michael, yes. In in any of your conversations with any of the people in the West Wing, did anyone ever bring it up? The P tape, I mean. Y yes, but in somewhat of an in in elliptical ways, and there was a lot of a lot of I. I you know, can you, I mean, there's a lot of, can you imagine this? Can it, no, no, it's not possible. Um, and I have actually, I've had the disconcerting experience of actually having discussed this with the President of the United States. Okay now, now we're talking, we're putting some extra time on the clock here. Michael? It was what, very, did the, what did the President of the United States say? Did he bring it up on his own? He brought it up on his own. In what, okay. And I was embarrassed. How does one I, was, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to talk about, about you know, um, golden showers with the President. You I, didn't have bad. to talk. I, he I wanted probably, to talk. I probably should have. I just then, I felt so awkward about this. What did he say? Um, he said that he was a germaphobe, and he didn't believe he couldn't believe that people were accusing him of this. And um, um, and um, and did I think it was true? <laughs> you know me, he said. Can can you see me doing that? I, I just didn't know what to say. I was like, oh, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> I, that was just one of a litany of things in this phone call? Or did he call you specifically to say, you don't think that this is true? I'm a germaphobe. Like, did you get the sense that the president was trying to convince you 
that he couldn't possibly do this? I think that the president just talks off his head. I don't think he's trying to convince anybody of anything. I don't think he has no strategy in what he's saying. He has no intention or intent. I, I think it just, it, just, it just comes out. Um, and I don't think it really matters who he's talking to. Um, and he certainly doesn't listen to who he's talking to, so what does it matter? It's, so, it's so a he very disconcerting experience to speak to Donald Trump, to say the very least. So this particular PP tape conversation, um, when did that happen? I will not, I would, did that prefer not to say. Did that happen when, did it happen as Republican nominee? Did it happen as president-elect? Did it happen as president of the United States? Although, no, you said it's disconcerting to have a conversation it's, it's, like this he with was the, the president, president of, the United, the president of the United States. So that's within, yes. within the last 363 yes. days. Yes. It's your turn. Uh, hi, how do we get Donald Trump out of office? Patience. I mean, I think he'll get himself out of office. It's, it's, this is just an unfolding process. From the beginning of this Trump thing, you know, we've all seen this as a, as a train wreck. And it's just that the wall seemed to recede, but the wall is still there. You say he'll get himself, himself out of office. Does that mean you don't buy the... Um, the prayers for impeachment, you don't buy the really big prayers for invocation of the 25th Amendment, you think that he will figure out a Trumpian way to resign or leave the presidency a winner. I think the Bannon formula is very reasonable. A 33 and a third percent chance he'll be impeached, a 33 and a third percent chance that he will resign in the shadow of the 25th Amendment, a 33 and a third percent chance that he will limp to the end, but a zero percent chance that he will have another term or even run again. Question here. Sort of in the same vein, I was going to ask you when and how will this end? And you can talk, we can talk about impeachment, but there's also others who could be involved in. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but where do you see our Well, I, no, I think I'll, I'll fall back on that. I mean, I think literally the Bannon formula is, um, is the most reasonable way to look at this. I mean, we don't know how this is going to end, but we can, I, I think, have some confidence, um, really something near absolute confidence that it will end. Wait, Question here. Hi, Michael. Thanks for uh, the discussion. Uh, two questions. First, uh, can you kind of go into more of the uh, beginning of your and Benin's relationship? How did that come about? And then second, have you received... Uh, an influx in hate mail, um, or have you talked to the president? Uh, I, have, just, you, have you received an influx of hate mail, and or have you spoke to the president since the release of this book? I, have you had any positive... An influx of hate mail. Influx, more people, influx of hate, hate mail. mail. Have you gotten an influx yeah. of hate mail? Have you spoken to the president since the book? I, uh, I, I have not, um, and, um, and I really haven't gotten hate mail. But again, as I say, I'm really behind on the email. <laughs> 
Um, and then the first question was, can you talk about, um, elaborate more on the beginning of your and Bannon's relationship, how that came up? You mentioned a dinner, but I'm sure that's... I'm sure your, that's your relationship with Bannon, how, how did that come about? Um, okay. Um, in um, February or March of 2016, I was walking through the, uh, the um, Orlando airport because I was going to give some s speeches. When you're, when you're on the speaking circuit, you're always having to go to Orlando. Um, anyway, I'm walking through and I'm not paying much, much, much attention, but somebody, there's, there's a guy, I see this guy who, who, who clearly seems to recognize me. Um, and looks at me, and in fact, he drops his bags, and and he comes over to me, kind of almost, he embraces me, I think, um, you know, and he says, and he says, oh, you you've been doing great work, and you know, I'm, you know, you take a fan in any way you get him, yeah. uh, um, and I say thank you, thank you, uh, this and that, and um, but he's acting like I I like I know like we know each other. Um, and also that, at my age, this happens also when you think, okay, I just, um, um, but then that was it. That's all I knew. Then about a month later, I saw an article about Breitbart. And there was a picture of this guy, and I thought, oh my God, the guy who hugged me in Orlando is the Breitbart guy. I, and and, I, and it's, it's, I, I still wrestle with this. Have, have I ever known Steve Bannon? How could this, I, I don't know. But, and I didn't think anything beyond that, except then it comes around, it comes August, and suddenly Steve Bannon is appointed the head of the Trump campaign. And I thought, okay, if he thinks I'm his friend, I'll be his friend. And I, <laughs> And I write him an email, and he says, come up anytime, and which I promptly do. I mean, this is it's not far from my house. I go over, I go over there, I go up, up to Trump Tower, and we sit down, and, and, it's, and it's, it seems like we're friends. I mean, I missed the whole chapter here, but. Um, <laughs> and we have a, um, and, and that's this thing, so he's there, maybe this is the second week he's there, and then he, he says, we're gonna win, you know, and he outlines we're gonna win, uh, you know, our path is through, is through Florida, Ohio, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Um, and I, this seems so much just like, you know, silliness that I don't even write this. Um, and, um, and then I kind of, you know, so I, I don't, I'm, I'm, maybe I exchanged another couple of emails with, with him, but then they win. <laughs> And I respond again, I say, can I come up? And he says, yes. So I think a week or so after the election, maybe two weeks, I, I, I go up there, we sit down, we have a conversation. Um, and, um, and, and I say, can I write this? Um, and he says, no. And then I said, you know, somebody's gonna write this. You know, you are about to be the, one of the most famous people in the country. And he said, okay, right. Um, so I did, and that was actually the first, the first, um, um, I think that was the first on the record interview that Steve gave, and it may actually have been the, been the, the 
um, uh, the only one he gave until, until just before he, um, uh, he left the White House. And, um, and so we, I just continued this, this relationship, our deep friendship, which I don't know where it came from, but... Um, before we, we move to this next question here, do you, fee, do you feel badly that the book is what helped push Bannon out? I, 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 feel, I feel that Steve n knew what he was doing. Um, I feel badly that he's seemed, is clearly at a, uh, some place where he did not expect to be. I feel sure, however, that he has a plan to get where he wants to be. The three people in that line are the final three people. Short questions. Yes. So you've known him, as you say, for over two decades, or close to two the decades. President, yes. So he's changed from being a Democrat to an independent to a very right-wing Republican. Does the man have any true ideology, or is it just spur of the moment and what gets him? Bingo. <laughs> That's what Fire and Fury is all about. Can I ask just one quick question? Just no. One, one. We, we, I'm sorry, ma'am. We are so over time, and I want to give the bearded man behind you <laughs> a, chance to, a chance to ask his question. Thank you. Um, I read that there was some serious discussion of developing your book into a, a television series. And uh, I'm curious to know as much about that as you can share. But specifically, I'm, I'm curious about what kind of tone you envision for that, whether it would be a dark comedy or a dark drama. Um, I, I think your book can be read either way. Right? You know, I, I, I mean, I've, I've had enough involvement to, you know, with, with Hollywood to know that, that whatever the writer of the wants is totally irrelevant. Um, um, if, I, if I could, I would say you play it totally straight. I mean, you, you don't have to do anything here. <laughs> Just, it, can, it carries itself. <laughs> Thanks, I can't wait to, uh, to tune in. Hey, it's you again. Can I have another question? Really a short, yeah. short question. If Donald Trump get impeached, then it would be Mike Pence. Will he be better for U.S. than Donald Trump? I, I, I can't answer that, I have no idea. I mean, I, I think anything would be better, but uh, yes. So. I, I mean, that falls into the category of be careful what you wish for. So, Michael, last, I, last question. President Trump tweeted, not recently, but when the book came out, Michael Wolff is a total loser who made up stories in order to sell this really boring and untruthful book. He used Sloppy Steve Bannon, who cried when he got fired and begged for his job. Now Sloppy Steve has been dumped like a dog by almost everyone. Too bad. <laughs> if the president were here right now, or, or, or called you, what would you say to him? The thing about talking to Donald Trump is that you never get to say anything to him. But I predict that actually what he will say sooner rather than later is that he is responsible for this book. It's successful because of him. And, 
And he is the real writer of this book. And on that note, Michael Wolf. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. If you like Cape Up, you should check out some of our other great podcasts. Like Can He Do That? with Allison Michaels, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. Or try Constitutional, a series about how people have framed and reframed the Constitution over time from host Lillian Cunningham. You can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. The Washington 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 Post. Post.